Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to You Are Okay with Blog Talk Radio. This is Mara. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you also and welcome to my prayer room. I took pictures of the place where I conduct this program, which is so far from the sterile environment where I first learned to do radio broadcasting. It amazes me. Now, I did cut out a a TV set, which probably should not be there. Um, There might be a way to accommodate that sometime in a different place, but for right now, this is the way it is. The um, thing about this room that I wanted to share with you, my space. Oh, my gosh, I think there's a social network named that. There is. But anyway, the thing about my space here is you can have your space. Before I do the program, before I come into the studio here, we do have a studio on the computer. Before I get to any of that, I spend a few minutes getting my space ready for us to join together for it to become a part of that eternal circle of love that we create every Sunday morning. Now, if you look at my bookcase, you're going to see all sorts of things that are interesting because they all are reflections of parts of my journey to this place where I am. And interest me, the commonality of the materials that I've looked at, that I've in some instances read thoroughly multiple times, in some instances read once, and in some instances picked up and said, you know, this is nice, but it's not for me. Uh, But what is interesting about all of these things is they are reflective of my journey to where I am now. And I would encourage you to surround yourself with things that are reflective to the journey you are taking, to the journey that is taking you to the place that gives you peace. I like to have images of Buddha around because I find that when I see Buddha, and Buddha is not a god, but he is a philosopher. And when I see the images of Buddha, I touch them and remember for a moment just to be in the minute. I steal my mind from rushing forward to try to calculate what's coming up. And I also steal my mind in the moment from going backwards to judge moments that are past and wondering, well, what did they think about this and what did they think about that? So you will notice in the image, uh, images, pictures of Buddha, or not pictures, basically statues of Buddha. And I'm getting a new one, and I will include that when it arrives. That gives me peace. You will also see a holy Bible. Because at one point when I was fairly active in the Methodist church, I became very disenchanted by the judgments that were coming from the pulpit. And believe me, it varies from the Methodist church you're in, uh, that you attend. But I was hearing this judgment of people. And so people who live together really needed to fix that. 
and people who were gay really needed to fix that. And I happened to know a member of that congregation whose son was gay. And what's interesting about being gay is if someone is left-handed or someone is right-handed, we have absolutely no problem accepting that's from God. But when someone is doing something that is, quote, considered a sin, it suddenly becomes a matter of choice. And I have to tell you that I think that people who come to this planet as gay people, people who are attracted to their own sex, are very, very, very brave people. They have come knowing the hardship that they will encounter because of their physical propensity. God does not create trash. Being gay is no different than being right-handed or left-handed. Now, there's some of you out there who may think that you should train someone who's left-handed to be right-handed because, after all, we all need to be normal. And yet I would suggest to you that it is those that dare to not be normal that pull us on our journey the furthest, that enlighten us the most. In any event, I was very disenchanted with these kinds of judgments coming from the pulpit, and I made a decision that I was going to, um, basically, I thought I was going to become Jewish. That seemed the answer because, you know, First of all, if we're truly Christ followers, then we should be Jewish because Christ was Jewish. So, and, and a very devout Jew at that. Not He wasn't like a revolutionary, <laughs> you know. So I decided, okay, I'm going to become Jewish. Uh, and uh, as things happen in God's world, a very devout, a very orthodox Jewish rabbi uh, Rabbi Tesler, I believe his name was, decided that he would teach me. He would educate me. And it was a very interesting connection because the first thing he said to me in one of the in the first meeting was something that caused me to later understand that he wasn't supposed to be alone with women, and and I was not an older woman then. So, but that he um, he he figured he was too old for it to matter anymore. And so, because of a friend's request, um, he was going to train me in the ways of being a Jewish female. And we discussed names and all sorts of things. And my name that he gave me was Miriam, which is interesting because Miriam is the sister of Moses. But uh, with that said, I uh, began the process. And as time passed, I came to see that Judaism is very similar uh, to Christianity. I guess it should be since they're one the offshoot of the other. And it uses the same Ten Commandments. And the fundamentals were pretty much the same. And the judgments of worthy and, and unworthy were pretty much the same too. And that is where I have my clash with organized religion. This concept that some are worthy and some are unworthy for God's love. This week, I went to give blood. I'm sure, I don't know, maybe it would have been encouraged, but um, it, it was an interesting phenomenon because I was being told that I might not have asthma, which is interesting, but I might instead have another condition arising from having grown up in Los Angeles County. Very interesting, very interesting. Nonetheless, it's 
breathing thing. But uh, so I was kind of excited, and I'm giving my blood so they can make this decision. Can you imagine all of this is in our blood? How far have we come? Uh, how far have we come? My gosh. And um, and in fact, the young doctor, she she was just so knowing and I remember feeling so knowing once in my life and when I said well but they told me this and she says that was 35 years ago and she's right it was and a lot has changed in 35 years and a lot of what I used to think was right is no longer considered right so that was a very interesting dynamic going on there and as I'm going down there to get my blood, and they're drawing the blood out, and I go, oh, you know, gee, hold on, give me a second here. Let me pray. I saw divine one, bless me with health. And the young lady who was drawing my blood said, let me give you a better prayer. And she, she proceeded to do a prayer that was full of Jesus Christ and I have no objection to that, and I have no objection to any prayer that anyone gives to me because I have no objection to anything that takes someone on their journey home to peace. So I was really it was like, okay, great, <laughs> you know, let's do it. And, you know, and I listened, and I tried to talk with her, but I could tell, I could feel, I could sense that she was very, very nervous talking to me. And listening to anything that might make something she knows is so right not be right. And that was the connector that I saw with that. Is here I was in a day where I was hearing that, um, let me make this sound go down. I was in a day hearing that I uh, might not have something I thought I did have, which was good news, maybe, I don't know, and uh, hearing it, and so therefore what I had thought was right was was being challenged, and I understood her tension, you know, for me it was elation and excitement, for her it was fear. So this morning, as I sat up my room, I lit my incense, I took a moment to collect my thoughts and, and understand what it is that I should share today that would help all of us on our path forward. I happened to look at my switchboard and the taglines for this program. And it was something I know most people do not believe. Uniquely created you. You are special. Love yourself. True self. Stop judging you. Ooh. I'm now off on some sort of scientific, uh, spiritual uh, investigation in my mind and dedicating my mind and my reading to it to see what is it about the human species that it becomes so afraid 
when it might not be right. When a person a person becomes so afraid that they began building up these walls that really interfere with communication and with moving forward because they entrap you in this past behavior. Because the moment is slipping forward, click, 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 as we're sitting back here evaluating what's going on. And I even recently had this week had an experience with that. And it was just kind of a weird experience. And, and on some level, I, as I look at it today, now that I've allowed a little space, I'm thinking, well, you, you know, I could have reacted a little differently, and I probably could have. But on some level, I am not convinced that not reacting all of the time, such as Gandhi suggested, is necessarily a good deal. I'm not sure. I think that loving one another is a huge deal. I think lovingly expressing your opinions is a good deal. I think lovingly explaining your motivation is a good deal. And I think that it is a more effective deal than passive resistance, expecting people to come to your place with no with nothing for them to see but your behavior. Sometimes it's necessary to explain the behavior, to explain the choices. And then, you know, it doesn't work and the person or persons uh, do not get what you're saying, then fine, move on. Because you don't want to get yourself too embroiled in the past. You don't want to become so embroiled in the past that you lose touch with the moment. And in fact, that's a topic we're going to talk about next week, just the moment. But we're always, always talking about the moment on this program. And we're always, always talking about uniquely created you. You are special. Working to love yourself. Recognizing your true self. And stop judging you. And I don't know why it is so hard for humans to do that. I don't know why humans have to conditionalize God's love. I don't know. I don't know why parents conditionalize love. I don't know why in the past except that that was the way it was shown. Good girls do this. Good boys do that. But in reality, when you get to the core, love is unconditioned from God. There is nothing you can do that God cannot forgive. There is nothing you are experiencing in life that is a product of condemnation from God, from love. I prefer to call God love. So today our topic is really right on with that. It is suffering, a matter of perspective. I invite you to come into my prayer room and let us join ourselves together to talk about the effects our attitudes have on what we feel, see, and do. 
And together we can learn to see the joy in the moment, looking past the chaos and what some see as suffering. And why did I bring up the rabbi? Because the story that is the core of what we're going to talk about today came from my time with the rabbi. I learned so many beautiful stories. And what interests me about those lessons was they inevitably brought me back into the moment. They inevitably invited me to look at myself, my motivation, and my objectives. And they inevitably challenged me to polish up the moment and look at the beauty it is bringing forth. So as we, before we start with the stories from the rabbi, I would like for you to join with me and let's join our minds, our hearts, our souls, and our breath with God as we listen to Aniel's Be Still I Soul. And this time, this week, if you can, if it's possible for you, I would like for you to do a meditation with your eyes open. And what I mean by that is I want you to look around whatever space you are in, even if you are driving a car, even if you are, as my dear friend Bob often is, in an airport, wherever you are. I'd like you to look now out at the space around you. And I'd like you to identify some things that are glistening with beauty for you because everything glistens differently for each person. My mother lived in a trailer that was really close to being a hovel in the end and would accept nothing different because in her eyes it was perfect. You, I would be insulting her to suggest that she needed something different. And if you look out today as I'm looking out, and let's begin the process doing it together. I happen to be in a room, as you could see by one of my pictures, that has a lot of trees. I have windows and trees. And I'm looking out, and I can see the sun peeking through one of the trees. And I could see that image of the birds flying across the sun. And the leaves in the trees are glistening with the energy from the sun. And they are reminding me that we are all connected in this moment. Not only are we humans connected, but we are connected to all that is, to the trees, to the birds, to the flowers. We don't have any flowers right now. But basically, we are composed of the same minerals. I always pause on that because I'm not a real scientific person, but I'm left wondering, okay, so we are of the same minerals, but what about man-made things? Are those composed of the same elements also? If anyone knows and you'd like to share it with me, call 646-595-3584. I'd be happy to take your call. Bear with me. If we're meditating, I won't interrupt until the meditation is done. And I think I can do it, though. I believe I've got the art mastered. I've now been to Block Talk University again. And so let's give it a try. So Annihil's Be Still Thy Soul. 
looking out together, looking around you and seeing the beauty in the place where you are. And I would encourage you to breathe in through your mouth as though your, excuse me, through your nose, as though your nose were in the soles of your feet. That elongates your breath. Pull your breath up the front of your calves. Crossing up your thighs. Crossing over now, and you don't have to do one long breath. Sip it in if you need to. Crossing over and at the tailbone, you're going to now start igniting your divining rod. You're going to bring your breath past the base chakra, the zone of fear, and release all fear into the earth from which it came. And for this moment in this time, you are going to be fearless. Pull that fearless breath up, and you're going to come into the sacral chakra, the zone of creativity. Creativity generally comes from being brave enough to strike out and question the norm coming up with something new, something exciting. You are now going to pull your fearless, creative breath up and you're going to come into the solar plexus, the zone of healing. Pause there for a moment and allow healing energy to spread through your body. Imagine it being a beautiful, beautiful yellow color. And it's moving through your body, healing all of the dis-ease within you. You're going to invite your body to restore itself to a state of health. And now pulling that fearless, creative healing breath up, you'll come to your heart. Thrust back or square your shoulders. So many people don't square their shoulders. Square your shoulders. Close your heart. Don't keep it protected. And love. Send out light waves of love from your heart. You are valuable. You are special. And your love matters. Your love can make a difference in a moment. Now pulling that energy up, fearless, creative, healing, loving energy. You'll come to your throat chakra. The zone of words where we can say so much that hurts, where we can write so much that hurts too. We have become such a literate society that we're not just reliant on hurting with words that are spoken, but also words that are written. And let us remember that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with love, and the word was love. How loving are your words? Let's forgive those who have harmed us with their words, and let us forgive those. Ask for forgiveness from those we have harmed with ours, because we are letting them go as we move into this moment fresh. Continuing to pull your fearless creative, healing, loving, forgiving, and loving words up to the third eye between in your forehead, the center of your forehead, the zone of manifestation. See this day as it will be if you can continue to go forth 
as a light wave of love. If you can believe that all that you need is within you, as Niles Be Still Thy Soul says, and if you know that you are enough, you are a source of light. Pulling your fearless, creative, healing, loving, kind speaking, manifesting, breath up, open the top of your head as though you are wearing a baseball cap and allow your breath to join the breath of God's. Feel your breath and yourself being energized by the electricity of having your breath joined with all that is. And as you breathe out, completely breathe out and breathe out, I am loved. And you are loved. Niles, be still, I shall.
Yes. Make us each a source of light, looking at ourselves. And so let's first talk about Rabbi Tesler, please. And and my just my general experience with him, because I'm sure that each and every one of you out there have your own concept of suffering. And most of the time, it's something someone inflicts on you. And because of our human need to understand why, we usually look to either that's a bad person or alternatively, that we have done something to warrant this behavior occurring to us. Now, you need to know there's kind of a crossover of that. I don't know if that's the right word, but I think it might be a fair description, where because of the Protestant work ethic in our country, there is there was a belief back in the time of the pilgrims and the Puritans that if one... Um, if one was blessed with wealth, that is because God was shining and ordaining you to have wealth because you were living such an upright and glorious life. And therefore, if the counterbalance was true, too, if one did not have light or did not have a lot, one did not have light. One was not being blessed by God, but rather one was being punished by God. And is really at its I think a fundamental belief around the world, not just in this country, but at its core, that creates the problem. Because people are forever fearful of being judged and looking for explanations for why things are happening to them. Now, I understand there's a book out there, Bad Things Happen to Good People or something like that. I haven't read it, but I'm sure it's probably very similar to what we're going to be talking about today. So the first thing the rabbi did was try to get me and help me understand that each person has a different perception of what's going on. And and frankly, this experience I had this week really showed me each person has a perspective of the event that occurred and and at some point, as I said earlier, it becomes a question of whether you need to strike out and push for your perception to be recognized and accepted or just move on. And uh, this week I did, and I don't know, maybe I'll live to regret that. I wanted to be heard. I felt that I needed to be heard. And um, But I concluded my final communication with, if you cannot see this from my perspective, then don't respond to this email. This will pass. And I did not get a response back. So that told me that person is ingrained in what he or she is thinking. They cannot get outside themselves because they cannot not be right. So what did the rabbi do to help me understand each person's perspective. Well, I would fly down from Northern California to Beverly Hills to meet with this rabbi. And uh, one of the things that the rabbi did was he told me that about a party. So we kept going to the same party week after week after week. It was very interesting. And at first I started thinking, my gosh, the rabbi's senile. But then suddenly it hit me. Even though we were attending the same party, and by the way, the party is described in uh, the Old Testament, but not with the depth that the rabbi helped me see it. Not with the depth and going under 
the covers, so to speak, beneath and looking at the the rabbi's story, looking at it with fresh eyes. So what happened? Well, we started off first with talking about the host. So at the very first discussion, we began a dialogue, or this is not a dialogue, monologue. I'm good at the monologues. Once again, if you want to call in 646-595-3584, and I will watch for a phone number to come up. But the rabbi was telling me about what the host expected from his party, why he was having the party up, why he invited all of the people that he invited to the party. Interesting. Why he caused people to sit in the seats that he caused them to sit in. More interesting. Very, very dynamic. Then we talked about the party from the perspective of the most honored guest and what the most honored guest was perceiving at the party. Then we talked about it in terms of the governmental officials who attended the party and why they felt they were being invited to the party and what they were seeing from them in terms of the party. We talked about it in terms of the lowest, least desirable guest. And we talked about it in terms of the belly dancer and what she was hoping and expecting to gain from the party. Wow. It took me a while. In fact, it probably took me many, many years to fully grasp the significance of what the rabbi was sharing with me. But I think I have a pretty good hold on it now, although I may develop even more tomorrow. I don't have to be right all the time anymore. And that is huge. I don't have to be afraid of not being right because being right means that I've satisfied someone else's expectation by what I'm saying or doing. And I have to satisfy my own, my own perceptions, which I try to have guided by love, by gentle spirit, by caring. I try to set aside my judgments about the people at the party, at the party of life, and instead allow it to all unfold with me seeing it in the best possible light. And the rabbi told me and helped me to understand that each person at the party has different objectives, different perceptions, because each person at the party has lived a different life. And there are no two people who came to the party who heard and saw and lived everything the way everyone else did. And frankly, what was interesting is there were really no two people at the party who even thought that somebody else at the party might be thinking or living or doing and being something different than they were. So in other words, everyone at the party thought everyone else was feeling exactly what that person was feeling, and the reality is none of them were. May I repeat that message again? None of the people in any given moment, in any given shared space, 
whether the space is shared electronically or is shared in person, see what is happening exactly the same way as anyone else. Because each person who is in that situation goes into that situation with their own life lessons, their own motivations, their own expectations. And the only thing we can commonly bring to the moment is sharing what we see, feel, and do and doing that in a loving way. Because if we come into that moment with judgment and negative energy, we will inevitably cause suffering of some sort. Because suffering for any human being is being caught in a moment where you do not understand why this is going on and you turn to yourself as negative. You forget that you are uniquely created and that you have something to contribute. You forget that you are special. You forget to love yourself. You forget to be true to your internal self, your true self, and you judge yourself as lacking. That is what suffering is about. That is. And I began to understand that. And now let me tell you the story of Ishmael. And those of you who have listened to this show for a while may have heard this story before because it's actually one of the stories that I share uh, more than, I've shared more than one time. And the story of Ishmael is very moving because it truly shows and captures this perception concept. But before we get to Ishmael, let me tell you a story that was shared uh, with me about a parent who wanted to have a child and their perception and the perception of all that is. Because we get, we feel that we are suffering when something is pulled away from us, when we lose it. But instead, when something is pulled away from us, it opens the door for something new to come in. But that involves a sense of awareness. And the stories that I was hearing from the rabbi were difficult for me because they, they, they seemed to go to very harsh places. You know what? I, I probably would be Jewish to this day and be called Miriam if it wasn't for the fact that the one place the one thing that that caused me to realize that the rabbi, that there were judgments even within the Jewish faith was when the rabbi, uh, as good as it is, and believe me, it's a very loving, nurturing, looking for the best in people faith. I would not be who I am had I not had those lessons. But there were two things. Number one, the rabbi would take any donations I gave him for the books and he would send them to Israel to fund war. Ooh, that was hard for me. But from his perspective, it was the right thing. So this gentleman who was teaching me to love and to see beyond my own perceptions, to lead with love, to strike out as an example of caring, 
and, and to listen for other people's perceptions, not presuming they are feeling as I do. That gentleman was using my money to fund a war with other human beings. To me, there was a contradiction in that, and I can't explain it except to say there was a contradiction. And in perhaps it's another program. And then on top of that, he gave me a cookbook to learn to fix food for the Passover. And I probably have it here somewhere. It's probably one of the books on the shelves. But uh, I don't know if it is. I, I think I may have given it to a Jewish female friend. But, uh, you know, I realized that despite his making the exception to train my mind as he would train a man's mind, I was still a second-class person. So what did he tell me? That was a harsh story that helped me begin to understand the concept of suffering. Because my friends, I have suffered, you have suffered, and I am so amazed at our society that encourages people to relive the suffering over and over and over again in order to compensate them for having suffered and discourages them from letting it go and moving on. We're encouraged to talk it to death, and every time we talk it to death, we pull up all of the emotion and the negativity and the venom of it. And we don't, and we miss what I challenged you to miss before we heard Aniles be still thy soul, the beauty in the moment. So I'll do a Paul Harvey on to you. Before I tell you the rest of the story, look around you again. Today we're doing a visual meditation and look at the beauty in the surroundings in which you find yourself. If you are in an airport, then look out and look out at the surroundings and look at the sun or the moon upon the buildings as you're watching them because the show is listened to at all different times of day all around the world. If you're sitting in a hotel room, Look around that hotel room and try to see, see something in there that captures your mind, your image, and unite with that and see that as the beauty of the moment. Look at the pictures that are going by in a relationship to this program. If you're listening to it, if you're watching it on a computer, and you can see the imagery there. For me, I'm seeing the the sun kind of moving now and different leaves are shining and my prayer room here has my little uh, bamboo tree has a little glisten in the leaves and the sun is coming through and I am blessed to be a part of all that is. So with that image in the moment, not struggling against others' perceptions of you, just accepting the moment as the beautiful moment that it is. Breathing in, knowing that you are enough. Fearless, creative, healing, loving, forgiving and kind speaking, manifesting breath that is joined with the breath of God. And breathing out, I am enough. In this moment, Letting go for this moment in this time. The need to judge yourself is lacking. The need to judge yourself is needing something different to be more, to be enough. So the first story. 
Elizabeth and Ben wanted a baby. They wanted a baby more than anything in the world. And they fell to their knees and prayed for a baby daily, multiple times a day. They adored God and they wanted to be able to manifest their love in their baby. And one day the archangel Gabriel came to them and said, Ah, God is going to give you a child to raise. You are the perfect people to raise this beautiful, beautiful embryo that is now growing in Elizabeth. You will be wonderful parents and will fulfill everything this child has a need to have. It will be glorious. And sure enough, Elizabeth was pregnant and they gave thanks. And they felt a joy in their life from being coming parents that belied anything else that they had ever experienced in life. And their life was lighter. And all of the troubles and issues that had troubled them, that had bothered them in the past were gone because they were having this baby And their life became focused on having this baby. And Elizabeth gave birth to the baby, and oh my gosh, Jacob was the most beautiful baby boy that you had ever seen in your life. Beautiful, beautiful, curly auburn hair, gorgeous blue eyes, lovely, lovely olive skin, all skin lovely no matter the color, but this is what Jacob looked like. I can't change the story too much. And gorgeous, gorgeous baby. And Elizabeth loved and nurtured this baby and took care of him and and suckled him at her breast. That's the word in the story, suckled. So here we are and this baby and oh Ben just hung around Elizabeth and Jacob, and he was complete. Their family was complete. They didn't need five or six kids or seven or eight. This one child, Jacob, was all they needed to be complete. And so Jacob um, grew and got strong, as little boys do, and stopped being a baby and began to be able to walk around. And and move. And one day, he became ill. And when he became ill, Elizabeth and Ben became distraught. What had they done to cause their baby to become ill? What had they not done? They explored the whole parameters, completely ignoring all the good that they had done for this soul, this Jacob. Instead, they were sure that there was something they should be able to do to change the course of Jacob's illness. And Jacob died. Oh, the Chinese have a saying that a parent should never attend the funeral of their child. I mean, sitting here thinking about it, the enormity of that, 
guts at you right there. I mean, you can feel it. You can feel the suffering. It's palpable. As the rabbi was telling me the story, I mean, I'm like, oh, oh my. As a mother, my children are so important to me. They're so important to me. And I'm just bound to them. And as is to be expected, Elizabeth and Ben mourned. And then they mourned again. And then they mourned some more. And as they mourned, they became angry. And they decided that it would be better to not have had Jacob at all than to have this loss. To not have Jacob at all, as opposed to have only the memory of Jacob. And then the Archangel Gabriel came because they turned their back on God. And so many people do because we blame God. After all, the good stuff possibly comes from our own efforts and the bad stuff comes from God. I mean, isn't that the Protestant work ethic on some level? Except it's also the Islamic work ethic and the Jewish work ethic and everybody else's work ethic. So Archangel is standing there and he's trying to explain and they turn their backs on him. And he says to them, Beloved, let me tell you about Jacob, your beautiful baby boy. Within and around Jacob was a soul that had experienced everything in life but one thing, a beautiful soul. And the one thing was to have suckled at the breast of a Jewish mother. Now Jacob has experienced all that the world has to offer and feels comfortable sitting in the realm of God. Oh, my gosh. Talk about it. A heart-wrenching story, huh? And, you know, it kind of was left hanging there. But the reality is, as time has passed, I've come to realize that something that may be causing me to reevaluate myself, to suffer, even when I feel I'm being wronged, does not only provide an opportunity for me to evaluate myself, but it sometimes, many times, is giving someone else a life experience they need to have. So it's not all about me. It's a matter of perspective. Now the next story is not so sad. And it's a good one to be going out of the program with today. And as you go forward today, work on your perception when you think of the story of Ishmael. One day, a very, very wealthy merchant went to his rabbi. 
Now, this merchant had goods beyond anything you could think of, had lovely wives, lovely daughters, lovely sons, uh, had wealth beyond all imagination. Everything was good. This one is interesting, my friends, in light of the Protestant work ethic. The idea being that if you have every accumulation in life, you will be happy. Or you should be happy. But he wasn't happy. And he went to the rabbi and he says, Rabbi, what can I do? I feel such great suffering and I don't know how to deal with this suffering that is upon me. And the rabbi looked at him and he said, Thomas, you need to talk to Ishmael. I cannot teach you lessons about suffering, but Ishmael can. Absolutely, said Thomas. Where does Ishmael live? Oh, you just go out of town, you turn left, and you will come to a crook in the road, and that is where Ishmael lives. Excuse me just a second. I apologize. And so Thomas immediately went. He didn't wait. He immediately went to find Ishmael. And when he got to the crook in the road that was described by the rabbi, he saw this hovel there. Surrounded by children playing outside and a crippled man working on chopping wood. And he walked up and he felt and knew that he was in the wrong place. And so he said to the man, I'm looking for Ishmael. Do you know where Ishmael is? Could you help lead me to where Ishmael is? And he did so very disdainfully, as people who have more than others are inclined to do. People are so disinclined to see equality in man, but instead tend to look down as though there's something someone else has to do to be enough. But Ishmael was oblivious to that, and he looked up and he said, Oh, friend, I'm sorry. Um, You are here. Who are you? I am Ishmael. What can I do for you? And Thomas says to him, well, the rabbi sent me to you, Ishmael. And Ishmael looked at him and he said, well, Thomas, um, what's going on in your life? And they start talking and Ishmael so happy for Thomas that Thomas has accumulated so much in life and that he has such a beautiful family. And within a few minutes, uh, Ishmael's wife comes to the front stoop and says, food is ready. And at that point, Thomas is thinking, the rabbi is really screwed up here. This guy has nothing he can teach me about suffering. Well, what? The rabbi has lost it. When Ishmael turns to Thomas and said, come, please join us. And Thomas is thinking, no, no, no. But Ishmael insisted, and Thomas joined them at their table. There was one chair at the table. In the middle, and it was really more on the ground, on the floor, in the middle was a big pot of water within which was cooked one potato. 
the children were surrounding the table, and Ishmael's wife was bringing the food. Ishmael insisted that Thomas sit in the chair, and he joined the children on the floor around this table with this potato stew. And Ishmael's wife pulled out the potato and put it into Thomas's bowl and gave it to him. And Ishmael's family then all took the potato broth and put it into their bowls and began to eat that with with bread, and they were happy. They were blessed. And when the meal was over, Ishmael said to Thomas, Thomas, why did the rabbi ask you to come and see me? And Thomas looked at him and he said, the rabbi thought mistakenly that you could teach me how to deal with suffering. Ishmael's eyes became huge, and he said, the rabbi is mistaken, Thomas. I know nothing of suffering. I have a beautiful wife, beautiful children, a wonderful house, a new friend, and food enough to share. I'm sorry. I can't teach you about suffering. Friends, we all encounter things in life that are not what we believe are due us. Because we're too nice to have it happen that way or we're too kind or we've lived such a great life or we've worked too hard. There's all sorts of we-haves. But the reality is life presents us opportunities to honor those around us. Life presents us opportunities to step through suffering as a light in how to deal with pain and suffering. Life presents us opportunities to be our highest selves. And we accomplish that by focusing our attention less on judgment of others and more on loving ourselves and treating others the way we would like to be treated. It is an age-old lesson that we have now codified in this country, perhaps in others too, because for some reason we seem unable to believe that others deserve to be treated with respect and dignity at all times. It's a lesson from God, from all that is, It's an internal lesson, and I think it arises from many of us not believing we are enough. Go forth today and be Ishmael. See more in the moment than it is presented to you, and know, know always that you are loved. Please reach out your right hand and take the hand of God who is with you always. And as you go forth today, go forth escorted Go forth remembering the electricity of joining your breath with God's and know that you are enough. I salute your inner divinity by saying namaste. Peace be with you until next week. Thank you for joining me. Namaste. And may you enjoy a beautiful day.